0: Hello, my name is Peter McMillan. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at NT Shorter, and welcome to another podcast of Sharing a Couch. I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting today from Larrakia country and pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and to any other First Nations people who might be watching or listening to this podcast right across Australia or indeed overseas. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Today we've got another really interesting conversation around minimum rental standards, uh, minimum energy efficiency standards for renters, and talking about what it's like to live in our homes during summer and winter with cold temperatures and hot temperatures. And at the moment, as we broadcast, we've got a heat wave across many parts of Australia. So today's conversation is really relevant. To that end, I'd like to introduce to our uh, participant today on the couch, Bernie Barrett. Bernie is Better Rentings Advocacy Coordinator. She has a background in consumer and lived experience advocacy and leadership. She most recently worked with peak bodies across health, mental health lived experience and LGBTQIA advocacy in South Australia. Bernie has a strong focus on social justice and brings her passion for community driven change and systemic advocacy together into her work at Better Renting. She's a 2022 Australian Progress Fellow. As for Better Renting, Better Renting was officially registered on the 5th of April 2018, so it's a fairly new organisation. Over the last four years, they're proud to have worked with renters to take a stand on the issues that affect them and contribute to changing the conversation and the laws around renting across Australia. As you'll hear over the next 45 minutes, they've done a lot of work in a short time and have been very successful. I'd like to welcome you to the program, Bernie.
1: Thanks, Peter. I'm happy to be here. I'm just acknowledging that I'm meeting with you today on the lands of the Ghana people. And I always pay my respects to elders past and present.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, your role is Director of Advocacy at, at Better Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that involves. Uh, what does your typical day look like in an organization, I guess, that's still very much um, Uh, establishing and building upon the work that you've done. It must be an exciting place to be right now. Can you tell us a bit about it?
1: Yeah, it is really exciting. And I think what's so good about being a small and dynamic organisation is um, we really get to be on the pulse of what's happening with renters and with tenancy issues across the country. Being a national organisation, we do look across the whole country I'm based here in South Australia, on Ghana land, as I was saying, and right now uh, we have a residential tenancies review happening in South Australia, so I'm doing a bit of work around that, and generally it's about knowing what is going on for renters, knowing what the hot topic issues are, and I think we've all seen stories more recently in the media almost every day now around, you know, our low vacancy rates and our skyrocketing rents, as well as, well as the, the quality of the homes that we're living in. And so my role is to know about what's happening and to really engage with renters in that way that they have their stories at the centre of the work that we're doing, which is really important to us at Better Rentings to make sure that the work that we're doing is being driven by the issues that matter most to people who are renting.
0: You talk about building a community of renters who can, I guess, be empowered and advocate for their own rights um, and change the narrative of renting. What do you mean by that when you talk about changing the narrative of renting?
1: Yeah, I think that for us, and this was a big reason that Better Renting was formed, was that in 2018, the conversations around the issues with renting was really the solution that was offered was, well, we have to get people out of renting we've got to get them into home ownership. And for some people, that's just not a feasible option. You know, we have a really tight market, people don't have the deposits or they're not able to buy a home. And for some people that's just also not what they want to do. It doesn't work for their life circumstances. And so for us, it was more about, well, what if we just made renting as good as owning a home? why can't you be afforded the same the same comfort and stability as a renter as you are when you're a homeowner and you know in australia one in 3 households are renting and the demographic is changing we have more and more people renting for all of their lives it's not just the stop gap you know during university for young people that a lot of people i think still see it as mm-hmm. and so changing the conversation and the narrative around that to say You know, renting is a long term solution. It's a housing solution and it's an essential service that we provide. And so we need to make sure that the quality of the homes that people are living in are good and keep them healthy and keep them safe and that people are offered stability because when renters are constantly forced to move around, we're really disconnected from that community aspect, which is a big part of being, you know, in society as a person is being able to connect with your community. So, for all Absolutely. of those reasons, yeah, we really want to change that.
0: Absolutely, it's fascinating, isn't it? In the Northern Territory, fifty percent of Territorians are renters, so we're higher than the national average. Mm. And you know, there are various circumstances and reasons why people um, want to rent, as you point out. I think it was quite. I was quite. Uh, taken it back, actually, when our former Prime Minister said that the best thing the government can do to help struggling renters is to help them buy a home, mm-hmm. because I know if, uh, it's just uh, it's just not an adequate solution or an option for a lot of people at different stages of their lives and, and, and the like. What are you hearing from the people you talk to who are renting about that issue you mentioned before about tenure and wanting to stay in their rental homes longer? Because it seems a bit strange that rental um Tenancy agreements are still often six months or 12 months duration. There's not a lot of uh, longer-term leases that are generally offered in Australia, are there?
1: No, it's different, you know, in some parts of the world. You may see people renting a home for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years, and we don't see that as much in Australia. I think what we hear from renters the most is that looming sense of dread and that potentially with little notice depending on where people live they'll be told your lease is over it won't be renewed or they'll be served a no-cause eviction you know a landlord may wish to move back into the property or sell the property or renovate it or a number of other reasons and the stress of the move is enormous for renters because while they're, you know, preparing the home to be handed back to the landlord, they're also having to fight with, you know, scores of other renters all applying for the same property. It's an expensive thing to have to do constantly. Um there was some research done by the tenancy in New South Wales around the cost of a move and they looked at an average um, move costing around four thousand dollars, you know, including bonds and everything. So, for renters who are doing that every twelve months or less, it becomes an extremely stressful, uh, both emotionally on their mental health, but also financially stressful. And so, you know, when we say to people, oh, "Well, the option is go buy a home." I don't think they understand the expense that's involved in being a renter as well with that instability. So, yeah, I think a lot of people would love to see longer leases, Um, you know, especially people with families. There's a lot of stress and almost trauma for the children having to constantly move schools and I think we've heard from parents who are, are renting and have been served you no know, cause eviction and are uh, looking at how can they stay within the community that their school is in for their children and I think that's caused a lot of people to move into that temporary homelessness situation of staying in cars or in tents nearby their school and um, it's a it's not a good time for renters right now.
0: And I think the other thing, too, is, is what I think Better Renting has, has pointed out in its reports. We'll come to some of the detail of those a little bit later. But in terms of the power imbalances, and I guess some people out there might be listening and thinking, well, you know, my my house is really hot or, it's, or I need these repairs done, but I'm a little bit concerned at the moment about asking my landlord to modify them because they might evict me or they might put the rent up. Um, and I think I'm curious as to the work that... Um, well, first of all, I'm curious as to whether that's a commonly held fear that that renters have and then secondly what the community of renters can do through your Facebook groups and other things I guess to to share those experiences and learn from each other about how to approach those issues
1: yeah the the fear of reporting issues or for asking for things to be made better is very common And I think in jurisdictions where no-cause evictions are still allowed, so that's when, you know, it could be throughout the duration of a tenancy or at the end of a a lease, um, uh, the lease is not renewed um, for no reason, It, um, it just isn't renewed. That causes a lot of concern and fear. And so when people do have issues, they don't want to be seen as... A pain or a bothersome tenant, and so they are, you know, living with standards in their homes that are substandard, and are making them sick, or are making their bills more expensive, because they don't want to be a pain, and they don't want to see a retaliatory eviction, or they don't want to see their rent increased, um, which is a very real thing that can happen.
0: One of the things that um, better renting and and healthy homes for renters are. Advocating for is the adoption of minimum standards for renters, minimum energy efficiency standards for renters, for homes for renters um, by 2025. And this is important because I guess it's part of being on a trajectory for more efficient homes to meet Australia's climate change uh, targets by 2050. Um, and I'm just um one of the one of the things that I note is that there's it's been a pretty strong case made I think in your research that these these um, standards are not going to improve um, for renters out of the goodwill of landlords alone and that regulation is needed. There's been plenty of opportunity I think for renters to uh, for landlords rather to rectify some of these things. I'm sure there are some good landlords out there that, that are and realize that's that's a reasonable thing to do, but it's not happening at the scale that we need. What's been the reaction to date from us from Australian governments? whether it be the federal government or the state territory governments around that notion of having uh, those performance standards and as well as landlords, what are they saying at the moment around the need to have those minimum standards?
1: The work on the minimum energy efficiency standards for rental homes came from the federal level. So it was initiated this conversation in 2019 um, the then COAG um, energy ministers came together and as part of that, you know, trajectory process for zero emissions, um, they were talking around, uh, you know, residential homes, existing buildings Um I will say initially renters were not included in that conversation and it was advocacy from the sector that made sure that renters were included. And from that, they said, well, okay, we will come together and we'll initiate a plan for a national framework for minimum energy efficiency requirements for rental homes. So this is an ongoing process. This framework hasn't been finalized. Um, We're hoping to see a draft of this in early 2023. But that's why Healthy Homes for Renters was born, the campaign, uh, which is now a national collaboration of more than 100 organisations who are all working together uh, to see this happen. In terms of what we've seen from states and territories, it's been mixed, as it always is, when it's a a nationally led process that then goes down to jurisdictions. Uh, The ACT and Victoria have really led the charge on this. So recently we saw the ACT announced their first minimum standard, which was ceiling insulation so that's going to be rolled out from April next year which is incredible that is going to make people's homes warmer in winter and cooler in summer it's also going to save bills but it's going to save lives so you know we talk about the health impacts of a cold home and it's absolutely enormous when you look at the the mortality rates of Australian homes because of cold weather um Victoria has also implemented a fixed heater standard, which is really exciting as well. So they are, you know, landlords are required to install a minimum energy efficient fixed heater in the main living room. And again, um, that's still in its early days. So we're looking forward to seeing that completed and seeing the benefit that that has to renters. It's a little bit, you know, hit and miss in other states and territories. Um, so we're working with organizations on the ground in all states and territories to kind of move that along. Um, I think that from landlords, you know, like you said, there are some landlords that do care. And when they know that this is an issue, they will act. And I think that's, you know, it's fantastic to see that. I think that. On the other hand, there are a lot of landlords who are quite disconnected from the experience of living inside the homes that they rent out, and so they don't see just how bad the homes get. You know, if that feeling of of cold or heat is very is very. Um, Object, subjective to the person who's experiencing it and so you can't really say to someone oh, like it's getting really hot they'll just be like oh you know chuck on a fan drink some cold water but when we look at the the work that we've done with renter research as we can say you know for example in the northern territory last summer renters homes were above 25 degrees 96 percent of the time which is outside of the world health organization's you know healthy temperature guides and everything like that um So I think that the issue with landlords is they see it as a really expensive process. They think that being a landlord is quite over-regulated. But I think that what we're doing in talking about the health impact and the cost of living impact is starting to make people understand, okay, this is like a social good. (laughs) This is something that we can be doing to, to make the people who live in these homes lives better. But I think the impetus really does have to come from government to make sure that it happens.
0: Let's talk um, a a bit about the uh, blueprint of which uh, Healthy Homes for Renters campaign has released, which is really a good guide. I've I've gone through that now a couple of times. It provides really good, well-grounded and well-made points around why it is important that we have minimum standards. I think one thing that I'd just like to to, um, canvas with you is, is what's In there, around the energy efficiency of existing homes at around 1.7 stars compared to new builds, the standard being six stars. That's a marked difference, isn't it, in terms Mm. of existing homes? You want to just, just in very simple terms, just remind people what these star ratings are that made as uh, issues for homes in terms of of their their scale. I guess just in broad terms, just just what's needed, what would be needed, I guess, in terms of either retrofitting, you know, the existing homes or what, what landlords can do to get their homes up to a level of thermal comfort for tenants?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, to make it really simple, I think having those um, simple changes is really effective. So it could be things like sealing drafts and leaks, uh, a lot of homes in Australia are very tent like is the comparison that's often made in that if you do, you know, have an old air conditioner and even if it works, um, it's often leaking the cold air out into the environment. So sealing those leaks and drafts is a really good step. Then going on from that, having a measure of ceiling insulation is really important so that, you know, helps regulate the thermal efficiency of the home and the comfort of the home. Installing energy-efficient reverse cycle air conditioners will also do a good um, amount of uh, to to keep the home warmer in winter, cooler in summer. And then you could look at other things like your hot water system you know moving that off of gas if it's gas and having you know a look at the gas overall in the home switching to electric appliances um and then you know The window coverings is a really simple measure as well, like having effective window coverings is a really great thing to be able to provide for renters, ensuring that renters are allowed to put up curtains or blinds, you know, being able to put in the hardware that's required to support those. And then, you know, you could move on to other things, talking about window glazing and whatnot, but I think those kind of first steps of... Is the house well sealed, draft sealed? Do you have ceiling insulation? Is there a reverse cycle air conditioner? Do you have good window coverings? A combination of those things would make a really big difference.
0: And I think, um, I think from, from the perspective of people who think about making sure that a house is livable and comfortable for anybody, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, it's not a, you know, it's to, a, to an extent that you're not sick uh, or having mental health issues while leaving a house that's not suitable Mm. Um, obviously there's costs for uh, making good on those um, things. But I guess from from your perspective, certainly from our perspective as well, we need to arrive at a way of doing that so the tenant doesn't have to pay for the costs of all of those uh, upgrades and through their rents and things like that. So that's something we'll need to to work through. Um, So I'd just like to uh, maybe we can start talking about the cold and then ramp up the temperature and talk about the heat (laughs) as we go (laughs) on. What do you reckon? Sounds Um, good. Okay, so look, I'm, I'm really, I really love some of the work that you've done in your reports, where you've been able to get citizen research, where you've essentially, we've literally sent out um, data trackers or temperature trackers uh, out to uh, people across Australia, around 50 plus people in these surveys, and you've actually been able to log the temperatures, and in in the case of the cold or at least the humidity factors as well. Um, and, um, and also get qualitative information back in terms of anecdotes and people's experiences, just mm. what it's like living in houses. Let's talk about the cold. I was staggered by the fact that the World Health Organisation has that standard of around 18 degrees uh, is, is generally accepted as a reasonable um, temperature, minimum temperature. But in Australia, the situation is quite unreal, isn't it, in terms of just how cold our homes are? What did you find?
1: Yeah, I mean... The, the notion of Australia just being this warm, pleasant place all year round is obviously not accurate. And I think that an issue with the with homes in Australia is that we are a mild, um, a mild country, mild temperature country, um, but that kind of you know makes an issue for us in winter because our homes are more catered towards the hot summers in most part um Mm -hmm. but what we found and in particular like with the rental researchers project is that people's homes are just below that 18 degrees uh, minimum temperature around 75 percent of the time on average so um a lot of the places that we were looking at it was below that a lot more so you know obviously we're looking at Tasmania um, is below that 91% of the time and uh, I think in the, uh, the ACT it was 88% of the time and you know surprisingly to us um, in Alice Springs and Desert Springs where we had some renters it was below 18 degrees 89% of the time and we also recorded some of the lowest average temperatures in the Northern Territory and I think that that really isn't highlighted a lot in the conversations that we're having is just how cold it's getting Um, but I think you know the 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 wonderful thing about the renter researchers project is that it is citizen science we are putting this information in the hands of renters and you know i think as a renter we often think that we have to accept a lower standard and there's a line that you know people should just be happy to have a roof over their heads and what we're trying to say is like no we should expect more we should be living in a standard of home that does keep us healthy and through renter researchers we were able to talk to people really in depth about what it was really like in their homes what was that feeling like and what was that you know what impact was that having and we were often talking to people about you know their homes being so cold that they couldn't invite family over they were so shocked at how cold their their home was that, you know, if they did have friends over, they were often coming over wearing giant puffer jackets sitting inside the lounge room. And that was, you know, causing them to avoid having people over. So it was also leading to a level of social isolation that was upsetting to hear about, um, you know people were saying that they'd come home from work and the first thing that they do is get into bed and just sit there and try to be warm and so at nights when they would ordinarily be in the lounge room with their kids talking they were all in their bedrooms alone and I think again that leads to that um, social isolation and the the worsening mental health of people but then on the physical health side of things, it was also causing a lot of people very obvious issues. So people over winter were developing respiratory issues, um, whether that was an existing issue or not. Some people who had you know, asthma or other conditions had worsening experiences because of how cold their home was. Um, And I think that people were often feeling as though they had to choose between living in a really cold home or putting on the heating and then having really expensive power bills. But what was happening was people were making the decision to turn the heater on, getting really high power bills, but their home was still cold. So it wasn't even a choice that they were making. They were paying higher bills and their homes were still uncomfortably cold. And so that was really again interesting is the wrong word it's horrifying Mm -hmm. it's upsetting to hear Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it also opened the eyes of a lot of renters to the true condition of their home and it has made them more empowered to want to make things better uh, which is great that is great to see
0: and in terms of, I was interested to read that as well. So even though there was heating, either the heating was substandard and not energy efficient or you had drafts and things in the house as well, undoing the work with the heating. Was that the kind of thing that was going on? No insulation? Take yeah, away.
1: exactly. So, uh, you okay. know, old inefficient heaters um, or often if homes didn't have a heater, they were buying, you know, the plug-in ones from Kmart or something. And so they're doing a lot of work um, using a lot of energy and not doing a lot of work. So that's what's making them energy inefficient. And definitely lots of homes that are not insulated and not draft-proofed and not having good window coverings. So all of that warmth is just seeping out of the home.
0: Yeah. And also, I guess, the other thing that's interesting in the report is the effect of humidity as well in terms of things like damp and mould and condensation. Do you want to talk about what you found with that as well?
1: Yeah, it was... You know, mold was a big issue, a really big issue, and in particular for homes um, on the eastern coast um, where there's been flooding, which is just an ongoing issue, and it's going to get you know worse as flooding, these big flooding events continue to happen. Um, But yeah, so the mold was a huge issue, and it also created uh, more stress for people as well because they're constantly cleaning. Um, A lot of the time the mould was caused by structural issues as well, Mm -hmm. and so um, they had to then negotiate with their landlords to have things repaired. But, yeah, so the worst was in New South Wales where we had really high humidity temperatures. I think it was around 83% of the recordings that we had, the humidity was above 60 degrees, uh, 60%, sorry. And that's kind of where you start to see mould occurring. Um, And it just created... A lot of issues for people and we had a renter in um Tasmania whose home was so moldy their bedroom in particular they woke up one morning and they were coughing so hard that they you know coughed up blood which is really graphic and they discovered that their pillow had gone moldy so they'd been sleeping on a moldy pillow um, which had just caused so much stress for this poor renter who had done everything that they could to keep the walls and everything clean of mould, but it had unfortunately gotten into their pillow, which was just really upsetting to hear.
0: Yeah, shocking, isn't it? And those those of us who live up here in the tropics also get mould as well, but for different reasons probably with the humidity and the heat, it's going to be an ongoing challenge as well. Um, So... What I found also uh, quite insightful was the remark that homes in Sweden are actually to deal with heat better than Australian homes. I mean, we, yeah. we it must be something to do with design, yeah, and the way we build our homes over the years and the fact that we're not good as a nation at building homes that have good cooling and cooling and good insulation. And, yeah, um, yeah. do you want to, can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, so this was research that was done in 2015, which showed that Australia... Um, we have more deaths from cold in our home um, than people in countries like Sweden who have, you know, sub-zero temperatures. And yet I think you're absolutely right, is that they have been prepared for their homes to reach those cold temperatures. So they're they're expecting sub-zero temperatures and so they have, you know, insulation in their walls and their floors and their ceilings they have heated floors they have all of these things we wouldn't maybe need quite that extent but we do need a bit more insulation and other things as well um but it has led to higher winter mortality in Australia as a result because and as you'll see from the the report that we published um cold and costly homes are you know reaching some of them zero degrees, some of them are reaching five degrees or seven degrees as an average minimum temperature in their homes, which is just so bad for you as a as a human to be living in that temperature, that cold constantly. That's and funny. I think that, yeah, the comparison with Sweden is quite shocking because you think of Sweden, it's like a snow-covered country, it's freezing cold and Australia, we're still having people die in their homes because it's so cold.
0: And I think it also says what when... The, the work you did in that report showed that for in comparison with homeowners, homeowners typically had um, temperatures four degrees higher than, um, than the renters in terms of it's a lot more comfortable to live in, isn't it? And, and um, yeah. a lot less expensive is in terms of power bills when you've got energy efficient um, heating and when you've got passive solar and solar panels and other things like that, which tenants really would have difficulty getting done, wouldn't they? Absolutely.
1: And I think that when we talk about those comparisons between, you know, owners and renters, we talk often about the agency of renters and that renters do not have the capacity, like the ability, the power to make those changes to the home, even though we know what would make our homes better, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Landlords have to have that final approval and or do those changes. We can't do simple things that would make our homes more energy efficient and safer and more comfortable to live in. So there is definitely a huge power imbalance when it comes to the renters and owner occupiers and landlords and the difference in how we live in our homes.
0: Let's let's change tack just briefly to heat now. And, and also mentioned in the intro. A lot of Australia is going through a heat wave at the minute. Um, We all know uh, that these uh, days of extreme heat are getting more frequent um, right across the nation, um, extreme weather in general, but certainly there've been a lot of hot weather um, and we're all feeling that and sweltering through that at the moment. I know a lot of us who have air conditioning in our homes still are sweating or still finding it hot, even if we have um, split air cons and stuff in different rooms. But what was interesting to me is that uh, Victoria and Tasmania have uh, standards in place for fixed heaters, uh, energy-efficient heaters, but no Australian jurisdiction has any standards at the moment or mandatory requirements for cooling um, in in rental homes. Why why is that? Why do you think we're so slow to recognise that as a country that heat kills and um, a lot of our, um, you know, um, homes are far too hot to live in comfortably?
1: I think that's a great question. I I wish I could answer it perfectly. I think that there's, like I was saying before, a disconnection between the people that own the houses and the people that live in them as homes. And again, people who are making policy and legislation around this are often more privileged and do live in homes that are comfortable. And so the reality of what it's like to live in a hot home is not at the front of their mind and the associated health risks is not widely understood. Um, It's becoming more and more so with more research that comes out. Uh, But I do think it's shocking that we do not have any jurisdiction that has a minimum requirement for uh, air conditioning in rental homes and there was a fantastic report released recently by the Kimberley Community Legal Services and they looked at the comparison between rental homes in the Kimberley region and homes that are given to um, government staff and government staffing homes have these air conditioners as a requirement. But people who rent their homes and are provided by social housing do not. And the comparison between the homes is is awful. And they're currently also experiencing a heat wave. And one of our renter researchers is in that area. And they set their temperature tracker up last week and sent me a photo of it. And it was already 36 degrees in their home. And she said to me, I just went outside and came in and it does feel cooler in here. And 36 degrees inside mm. your home. I live in Adelaide, and when it reaches 36 degrees outside, I'm like, I've got to lock myself inside to stay safe. But you don't have that option when you live in a region where it reaches those extreme temperatures or where there are those extreme heat waves. Um, so I, I wish I could tell you exactly why they don't have them. I feel like there's a big disconnect, is a, is a big issue between the health issues.
0: I think, you know, um, I, I'm about 80% reading through that Kimberley report, and it's it's an excellent report. And it's very um, relevant, to the work, you know, looking at places like Kununura, Um and Darwin and Catherine up here in the territory, very similar climates. And, um, and especially when you're looking at people with uh, complex health needs as well, living in overcrowded housing without anything more than a you know in a ceiling fan um it's just you know it's little wonder really that people are sleeping outside uh, rather than being inside the house and mm. resorting to things such as hosing down your walls and the concrete and the kids and that's just um yeah conditions that aren't suitable for living and i think mm. and i think the other thing too just maybe it's more a comment than a question but i find it quite um archaic really that um these days tenants in public housing up here at least need to seek approval from the Department of Housing to get a split system air conditioning put in at their own cost and when they leave the premises they have to pay for the for it to be patched up and removed so deinstalled yeah. and patched up. so it's not even left in the not even left as infrastructure in the building for the next tenant, um, which just seems to me to be staggering something that needs to be uh, addressed. It's, yeah. it's
1: awful that is horrible and i know that that's the same in south australia as well um when you know we were speaking about this recently people were saying in community housing we need air conditioners and they were told straight you know by the minister you can pay for it you're welcome to do it you'll just have to pay for it and i think that as a society the fact that we can't provide social housing that meets the needs of the people who lives in it is a is a glaring shame on us all to not be able to do that. And your point about people that do have complex health issues or um, any sort of health issues living in these homes, it is just, it is killing people. And I think that we've looked at the health impacts of both heat and cold and they're both terrible uh and i just think that you know we look at the the issues with cardiovascular health when you're constantly exposed to heat and your body is having to work so hard to try to cool you down and the long-term effects and um it's it's There's a huge amount of saving that could be made by governments by investing in energy efficiency in homes. There was a great report done by Sustainability Victoria and they said that for every per person, every dollar that is spent on energy efficiency upgrades, $10 is saved in the public health system. So per person, huge amount of savings that could be made there.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And not to mention, I guess, you might include that but mental health as well as part of public public health as well a whole lot of um, issues with people basically stressed and you can only imagine the the contribution that makes to domestic family violence as well yeah. and all other sorts of um, um trauma and um and uh, unhealthy Unhappy homes, really. Yeah. Um. I, there was one thing I, th- I did want to share from from your report. I think it was you. I think you referenced it from research that was done after the Melbourne heat wave that showed that if the homes down there had have achieved a five point four star energy rating, mm. it could have saved three hundred and thirty seven lives. Yeah. And that's just remarkable, isn't it? I mean, that really shows just the correlation between excessive heat and mortality.
1: Yeah, and that's I think when you put it into those numbers, um, yeah, 337 people would be alive, you know, if, if homes had been more energy efficient. And I think, you know, that's 337 people who had families, who had dreams, who were contributing to society, who were part of our communities, who simply because their homes were not energy efficient or were not, you know, able to keep them safe are now no longer with us and i think that you know we can't look at 337 as a static number it's it's an individual person who has a family who has like community around them and the the flow on effect of that issue is just enormous um and yeah. it's it's upsetting
0: yeah no bernie you, you, you put that um, very well, it's absolutely the case, um, and we need to remember that they're people, not just statistics. Mm. Each with their own families and and stories, and and lives have been cut short. Um, also, I think what needs to be uh, I guess raised is the fact that your report highlights air conditioning itself isn't the be all and end all necessarily for achieving cooler temperatures, and in fact some of the homes that your um, citizen renters had showed that the temperature still didn't come down to the levels you might have expected by having air conditioning. What's happening there, uh-huh. do you think?
1: It, that's, uh, yeah, that was really interesting to see. And I think that, you know, we talk about air conditioning as being part of a response, you know, part of a system that would make a home healthier, but it's not the, the all and end all, especially if you do have homes that are, Leaky and I uh, don't have insulation, as I've spoken about already. You know, it's a great picture that I saw. Uh, at, I can't remember where I saw it now, but it was hilarious. Someone had just put, you know, an air conditioner on a tent, and they were like, "There you go, you fixed it." And it's like, ah, that's exactly what it is, isn't it? Like you cannot put. You know, you can't put solar panels or an air conditioner on a tent and expect it to fix all of the problems in the house when there are these deep structural, not structural, but like deep issues such as, you know, lack of insulation and things that could be made better, you know, with some investment in the property. Um, But yeah, the air conditioning was interesting. And I think a lot of people also have these older, very like energy inefficient air conditioners in their homes as well um one of our renter researchers you know took a photo of their air conditioner and sent it to us and it's one of those classic brown boxes that sits on the wall and has like a giant system on the outside of the house that drips gallons of water every day um and yeah they would say they turn it on and it was in their lounge room and they had to stand within a metre of the air conditioner to feel cooler. And even then it's just like, you know, someone's manually blowing slightly cooler air on you and you're like, well,
0: that was worth the $300. (laughs) I had one of those burning in in the late 90s when I was living over at crude island in the Northern Territory. It (laughs) used to call them swampies and I (laughs) think I got industrial deafness from it. It was that (laughs) loud.
1: exactly and how are you meant to sleep at night and I think that we talk about that in our report as well actually is that you know people's sleep is so impacted and how do you sleep when you've got a you know 40 year old air conditioner sitting in your lounge room trying to do its absolute best to keep the house cool and failing miserably quite honestly
0: and I think one of the things that um, healthy home surrenders should be commended for as well better renting obviously is is the work you did on COVID during that time just to really show how how stressful and how hard it was for people to isolate to work in their bedrooms for example and you point out that renters often have one less bedroom maybe than a than a family that owns you know you might have a two-bedroom uh unit for uh, rather than a three-bedroom unit you know, with a study, for example. So so it was difficult for renters having to stay poor, not being able to get out to the beach or get out to the park to escape the heat at any time, having to try and work from home. Um, very, very, um, very, very tough conditions during COVID.
1: Yeah, and that continued on and is still, you know, as people have moved to working from home more and more often as well. You know, we're also working in, in our conditions that are not healthy as well and I think um, as part of the summer survey that we did with sweltering cities um, we spoke to renters and we asked the question of you know how often do you have to leave your home to seek refuge from the heat and the number of renters was you know obviously a lot higher than owner occupiers you know people are going to the library or shopping centres to seek free air conditioning and during COVID people just weren't able to do that. And so um yeah that was definitely a big issue for renters who I think it made them realize as well like wow my house is really not doing what it needs to do right now.
0: Mm, absolutely yeah. now um as as things stand at the moment in terms of what better renting is likely to do from here I mean we've once covered a lot of ground today and you know, we're going to look at your outcomes report and um and and some other reports that you've done that we've covered today. You've done a hell of a lot of work in just 4 years. What's what comes next for Better Renting and I guess for the work for Healthy Homes for Renters?
1: Uh, so for Healthy Homes for Renters in particular, so the national framework for energy efficiency requirements for rental homes is set to be released in early 2023. So we'll be doing a lot of work around that, so pulling together people to do a submission um, and also, you know, getting the word of our community sector blueprint out to people. So we're hoping to hold a launch webinar for that in early 2023, which we'll send emails around. So don't worry, you'll you'll be invited. Um, and then it'll be working with individual states and territory groups to get the advocacy happening there on the ground. So, you know, in places in particular where there are residential Tenancy Act reviews taking place, so the Northern mm-hmm. Territory, South Australia, Western Australia, um, looking at how minimum energy efficiency standards can be pulled into those reviews. And Hopefully seeing a really great draft framework from the federal government um, and seeing all of the states and territories grab it with vigour and say, yes, we're going to do everything and make homes incredible. (laughs) That's the the hope. Um, In terms of better renting, we really want to solidify more about what we're doing with our community of renters. So we're hoping to build up um, the renter centre and have more and more renters engaged in this work and building on that grassroots advocacy that we've been doing.
0: Super. And for those who are um, listening or watching onto this podcast who are renting and you might think, oh, gosh, summer's just around the corner, you know, I'm already sweltering in my home, I'm not looking forward to summer at all, in fact, I'm dreading it, um, you know, uh, what would you say to them? What advice could you give them in terms of what they might be able to do to make their life in life just that little bit easier? Uh,
1: so, you know, in terms of self-advocacy for yourself, um, What we found was that people who were involved in our rental researchers project who recorded that data and showed just how hot their homes were getting were able to share that with real estate and landlords. And um, we did have some good outcomes from that. So potentially it's just tracking just how hot it is getting in your home, Um, you know. Renew has some really good tips. They're currently doing a series of um, sessions for Sustainable Renters Week and they've got some great resources around simple measures that you can do in your home. Um, I learned the foil on the window trick recently since working with Better Renting. Uh, so, you know, there are some small um, minor modifications that you can make to your home. But I think I would always say Self-advocacy and also connecting with a bigger community of renters is a great place to start because it's great to hear what other people are doing and connect with organisations that are leading this work on the ground.
0: And I guess also um, like to give a bit of a shout-out to any real estate agents who might be listening or watching on to know, There are some really progressive agents out there and I've worked with some before. They realise that it's in a landlord's interest too to have a... a a tenant that is um, happy in the home, that's comfortable, um, that looks after property, feels like it's their home and can make reasonable modifications, probably improves the rentability, so to speak, of the home if they do move on Um, for other tenants coming through. I think tenants probably increasingly will be asking questions in the future, won't they, around what is the energy efficiency of this uh, place that I'm renting? Is it good value for money or are there places that offer better Options. So there's a lot of work we can probably do proactively with the um, real estate sector as well. I know some landlords will, you know, always think, Well, should I do? I really have to pay for that, or 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 can or can I get away with it? But I think it's about education, isn't it, too? And and the benefits that having a healthy place to rent um, to bring for tenants and and society as a whole
1: yeah and i think with minimum energy efficiency standards for rental homes it's not so much of a matter of if it's when you know this is going to change this is going to have to happen and as a housing provider as a landlord as a real estate agent who is offering this essential service think about what you can do now before you know it becomes the requirements as well that you can build you can be proactive because this will happen it will be a requirement for homes to meet a minimum energy efficiency standard. And I think that there are so many proactive landlords and there could definitely be more. So we welcome and support that and real estate agents that can work with that as well. is a really great thing. Well,
0: it sounds like it's time for us all to roll up our sleeves and make this happen. Just as we have had for minimum accessibility standards in homes, we should be able to do the same thing for minimum energy efficiency standards as well. With, with, uh, And thank you so much to you um uh, but Bernie for the work you and Joel have done and I guess um adding to the evidence base adding to the voice of consumers adding to the conversation and getting uh the attention spotlight put on these really important issues I can only imagine how much happier Australian families will be if they can live in houses that are thermally comfortable for them I mean in terms of mental health, well-being, happiness, socio and economic benefits to the country. Mm. It really does seem to be quite compelling. So thank you again to the great work that uh, you and Josh, uh, Joel Rada and the team at, um, at Better Ending are doing, the whole Healthy Homes for Renters campaign. Uh look forward to the work that's coming out in 2023 and thank you so much for joining us on the couch today.
1: Thanks for having me and thanks to NT Shelter for being a Healthy Homes for Winter supporter and all the work that you're doing as well.
0: Thanks very much, Bernie. You've been uh, watching and listening to uh, Bernie Barrett, the Advocacy uh, Coordinator for Better Renting. It's been a pleasure having Bernie on the program. If you'd like to uh, make sure you don't miss out on future episodes of Sharing the Couch, please make sure to subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel uh, or hit the join button. Uh, to join the conversation and make sure you get the alerts for new podcasts as they're released. Thank you very much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.
1: You've been listening to Episode 5, Season 2 of Sharing the Couch by NT Shelter. Opinions expressed by guests on Sharing the Couch are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of NT Shelter or host Peter McMillan. Thanks for listening and don't forget to hit subscribe.